New York Artists Collective. Hello and welcome to the New York Artists Collective podcast. This next one's about. Uh, this is the podcast where we interview a favourite artist of ours to discuss the creative songwriting process behind one of their songs. I am your host, Stephanie Manns, singer-songwriter and one of the New York Artists Collective producers. And today's guest is Laura Volk, one half of the Brooklyn-based indie folk duo Scout. Laura Volk, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. Um, so you are one half of the, the duo Scout. Yes, Scout with a K. Scout with a K. <laughs> how did that come together? How did, and also, how did the name come together with a K? Sure. Uh, so I had started playing in college um, solo quite a bit. with I was Scout with a C at the time. Um, and once I got to New York and released my first EP, I think I got a, like a, a sweet little copyright notice. Uh, from so- another scout artist. And I was like, oh no, I guess I should be a scout with a K. That changes it enough. But originally scout with a C was based off the character uh, scout from Tequila, uh, Tequila Mockingbird. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I hope that that was the, that was the story. Yeah. Yeah, because she's a little badass and I'm kind of obsessed with that character. Even when I was playing solo, I definitely wanted to have a moniker that that I could hide behind because it's I think when you go on stage, you want to be able to transform into somebody else. So I wanted to have a a name that could could allow me to do that. Ah, I see. OK, I wasn't sure if uh, Scout was born out of the two of you being a, a duo versus you starting Scout and then bringing in your wonderful partner, Connor Gladney. No, but so, yeah, so Connor joined, speaking of that first EP, I, I recorded it in Brooklyn right after I graduated college, then was going to play a, uh, a, a release show for the EP, but all the songs were recorded full band. There was drums, guitar, bass, etc. Um, so I was looking for musicians because I had only ever played solo. And my manager, um, Caitlin Gladney, was like, hey, my little brother plays guitar. And I was like, oh, no, this is going to be horrible. But I guess I have to humor her and, like, see if he's okay." Um, And then he sent me a video of him doing, like, John Butler, like, tapping side guitar. And I was like, you know what? He's going to be great. Um, And he drove to New York. He learned he and his friend who played bass drove to New York the day before the show, learned the song in the car from Rhode Island and we played together the next day for the first time. That's amazing. Just did it the next day. Yeah. It was brilliant. Yeah. It worked out. It it was a real risk, but they're phenomenal musicians. So it worked out. And then, um, Connor ultimately moved to New York and we just started playing and writing a bunch more together. And while we were writing and about to release a second EP, that's when we, that's when I put a ring on it. You know, we made it official. (laughs) We're a duo now. Love it. I think it was maybe March last year that you played um, a New York Artist Collective songwriters round with us. And it was the, it was music and words, but we were delighted to have you. And uh, I think that, that round that we had with you with Siobhan and Kerry, um, it was a really interesting round and we had, you were playing guitar and Siobhan was doing a mix of singing and poetry and, and Kerry was, was reading um, some, you know, some short stories. So it was a very different round for us. I don't think we've done anything like that since, but I remember it, it being a, a really interesting round and I was really pleased that you, you, you played for us. Oh yeah. So happy to be there. So today we're going to talk about um, one of your songs called These Bones. So tell me about that song. How did you guys come to write it? You know, and I, I, I do love the kind of the build up of that song. You know, you kind of start off slow and you, you, you kind of build to this sort of crescendo at the end. Um, how did it come about in terms of the writing and the production? Sure. Yeah. So we, um, after 
after we had released this EP, uh, we wanted to kind of self-produce two singles. And this one, you, the way that Connor and I write is usually instrumentals first. And I think I had written that uh, when the song gets really big and it's... Um, I'd written that on guitar and we kind of built it around that. So we knew we had this. And also, I, the way I play the guitar, it's a... Um, the capo is only on the bottom five strings. So I do this sort of Ben Howardy thing where I'm like playing the lower strings with my hand on top of the guitar, which I think when I wrote it, I was like, that would look really cool. And then, which is so horrible uh, to decide to write a song that way. But I, that's why I decided to ever put the capo there just to try it out and be like, what can you write that way? But then it actually worked out pretty well because this, this song, uh, came together with those lower bass notes, uh, and then the, the higher register on the, the higher strings. Once we had the instrumentals kind of set, I had this imagery, it was a really tough, time in my life and I had this imagery of you know when you're a kid and you're playing around and you like bump your knee or or you get a scratch on your arm or whatever and an adult an authority comes over and is trying to help you but you just keep saying like don't touch it don't touch it like don't touch my wound because you're trying to you're trying to protect yourself but even though you know ultimately it's probably better they know what they're doing they should they should help you you should put a band-aid on it whatever um so that's kind of the imagery of the whole song it was actually it stems from a conversation that Connor and I had after a writing session in my kitchen I was in a relationship that I was really really unhappy with and Connor like a good friend would just straight up told me he was like you're not happy you're trying to like you're trying to justify being in something that you're not that's you know not fulfilling for you not right for you um and you need to get out of it he point blank was just like calling my bullshit and I really hadn't had a friend do it quite like that and that was really helpful for me and so he I wrote these lyrics and he didn't even know that it was about him until maybe a year later so it's me it's me kind of pleading with Connor like don't touch me in terms of don't like point at this relationship don't point at this wound even though I know you're right ultimately like he saved me in this regard, uh, but it took a while to come to terms with and, and for us to even talk about. But um, yeah, it's, the song's about him. I remember actually that you, I think you played this song at the round because yeah. I remember that story. Yeah. And I remember speaking to you afterwards and saying, that's great that you can have that relationship where you wouldn't have said to him, back off, you don't like leave me alone, you know. And as much as I think you obviously you wrote a song about it, you know, it didn't harm your relationship in any way. And I think there's a, a real trust there. Oh, yeah. I say this to Connor all the time. He knows me in a way that I don't think anyone will ever get to quite know me because it, when you get to talk with somebody about art, about your art and your shared love for like your art, you see sides of yourself come out that I think otherwise we tend to hide or are able to control. Like if something's really stressful before a gig or like we really disagree on a part, like we get passionate about it. And and I I think I fight, I fight with Connor more than I, like more than I fight with my girlfriend or more than I fight with friends or family. Like, but it, it's from a place of love and we both understand that. And he's really good at understanding that and understanding me in that regard. So I do feel, I just feel so fortunate to have, have somebody who's that patient and also committed uh, as Connor. Sounds like you are very lucky and it's a, it's a great dynamic that you have. Why don't we take a listen to the song? This is Scout and These Bones. Please 
scout and these bones as i said i do i love the song um and i remember you telling that story and i remember being really affected by it um the songwriters ran last year but let's talk a bit more about you and where you're from and how you became a songwriter and and found yourself in new york so how did you you know start playing guitar because i mean you are quite the guitar player you know it's you you know you're not three chords in the truth type thing you're quite the accomplished (laughs) guitar player as well as a singer songwriter so how did that start for you it started, I mean, I started playing, I always wanted a drum set when I was younger and God bless my parents. They were like, hell no, that's going to be so loud. <laughs> um, so year after year begging for a drum set, I would just get more one, like first I got a, a, like a really crappy old guitar. Then it was like an electric guitar. So they were trying to elevate it on that front um, and still give me that creative outlet. So I started, I think I started playing when I was like 13 ish. Um, and I took lessons and learned. I was never really good at scales and and reading music. And I, I did try, you know, it wasn't one of those things where I just, I said, screw it. So I tried to learn, um, tried to learn the traditional like music theory and everything. But I always, I always loved just playing around and messing around, especially once I started switching to open tuning. I got really obsessed with this artist, Ben Howard, mm-hmm. in 2011 when he released his album, Every Kingdom. And I just started learning those songs and and playing around with alternate tunings. And that just completely changed my world um, in terms of like what I was capable of doing on guitar. And melodies kind of, it's easier in my, in my experience to hear a melody in your head and then make it come alive with an open tuning. I played in a high school band. Um, we were an all female pop punk acoustic band. We were very bad, but we loved it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then when I got to college, I started playing solo and um, now I play with Connor. And it's great having, um, you know, Connor and I 
we play and learn guitar in a similar way where neither of us can read or know theory. So that's where the guitar sort of came from. And um, how did you come to be a songwriter? Was that something that also came naturally as well? Or I mean, did you want to be just a guitarist in a band or did you want to write your own songs and, and front a band as well? I think I always wanted to write. It's such a therapeutic thing. Um, I, most most people in my life will tell you that I'm I'm not a very open person and it's not on purpose. I I don't always understand that criticism of my personality, but I think I have always naturally kind of put thoughts and feelings um, into songs, into lyrics, and uh, things that I can't say directly to other people, I'll put in a song. So to me, it feels like I'm getting it all out. And if someone's like, hey, you never talked to me about that, I'm like, well, I did. It, just listen to the song. Here's a song I wrote uh, about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so it, it grew up, I think it was an outlet. Um uh, growing up, that's that's where it started, and it was just always a way to manifest like thoughts and feelings that I simply couldn't bring myself to to say out loud, and that's where that came from. So, I, but I was I was a super angsty teen. I would listen to like pop punk bands about like you know school sucks, my parents are mean, like, and so I wrote <laughs> I wrote a bunch of of lyrics that were like so sad for you know a fifteen year old with a pretty good life, <laughs> but mm-hmm. that's kind of where I got my start, um, and now it's like. Lyrics are the last thing I do, but there's I, I look forward to it so much because they're so fun to play with. I mm-hmm. just really love it. And so at college, you uh, got into music producing. Yeah, so I um, we had a great setup. I, I went to Duke and I was fortunate that there, um, well, when I started, the, the studio there was literally a broom closet converted into a control room. But by my junior, senior year, um, we moved into like the television studio and they had just a full set up with amazing mics and it was it was you don't realize what you have at your disposal until you're gone and now you know until you move into a matchbox size apartment in new york and you're like wow um i love how you've gone from a broom closet to a matchbox <laughs> yeah that's my trajectory Some good metaphors there <laughs> um but when we had this really nice studio um i was able to work like i was a duke hired engineer so i i we had a record label, um, for, for Duke students. Um, so I would record and engineer sessions for, for students and for myself. And I did that as like my source of income in college. I basically learned everything from scratch. I, my Google history and my YouTube history is all just like how to compress a kick drum. Like it's all, I just learned from YouTube basically. Well, that's better than most teenage boys. I'll tell you that. Yeah, I hope so. So we, we've always, we've brought on producers here or there, or like I usually hire for our, our releases. We hire somebody to mix it because there are people who are way better at mixing than I am. But for live stuff, um, either I, my, myself or Connor will mix. And then um, we've produced a few of our singles and um, some of the stuff we have coming up, we've self-produced. So for the, for the benefit of people who aren't uh, musicians and don't produce their own stuff, could you explain the difference between producing and mixing? Yes, definitely. Oh my gosh, this always comes up. Um, mm. at, there might be different definitions, but the way that I define it is, is producing is basically arranging a song. So you, you're given chords and a melody and you poke holes in maybe the structure of the song. It's adding like kick drum in a certain place, but not in another place. Like it's, it's basically layering instruments, figuring out the best way to present this song to the world, usually taking just the simple demo and then building it um, into a full production. Everything through demo writing up to the actual recording process where you're in the studio miking things and going, I think that is, I think of that as producing. Um, and then mixing is after everything is recorded, you are 
tweaking all of the sounds that you recorded on those mics to make them fit in like a sonic landscape that sounds good to the human ear, I guess. That is a great explanation. Thank you very much. Sure. I shall um, use that as a sound bite and just put this on my phone when anyone wants to ask that question. (laughs) And I guess it's sort of this idea that it's almost kind of the orchestral composer who's writing all of the different parts, you know, in a symphony. Um, Not that I'm the biggest sort of classical fan or, you know, have any knowledge of that whatsoever, but that's sort of how I envision it. Yeah, totally. So once you you left college and you came to New York and you started work, is that when you started working at SNL? Yeah, so I... um... I graduated in 2013 and I came, I actually was living at home in Connecticut and commuting, looking for a job. And I got really fortunate that my first job was, uh, my first like full-time job was at uh, SNL. And it was definitely a lot harder then than it is now schedule wise, but um, I was hired as the assistant to the head writers um, and I immediately moved to New York because of it. Um, I simply couldn't commute back to Connecticut because the trains didn't run as late as we got out uh, from work. You know, it'd be like till two or three in the morning. Um, so I immediately moved into apartment in Alphabet City, started working there. And it's been it's been amazing in terms of like the, the freedom that it gives me. There's no other job quite like it where the weeks that you are on and, and we're producing a show, a live show, it's crazy. It's six days a week. It's, uh, you know, 67 plus hours a week. You don't really have a lot of time for, for things outside. But uh, then there are hiatus weeks, you know, 20 weeks a year where you're um, doing post-production and it's a lot more low key and for music it's allowed me to to tour in the summer and it's allowed me to like you know if we have a gig on an off week I can leave work early or if we have a session in the middle of the day I can make that work it's given me freedom that I think a lot of other jobs I don't at this point I don't think I could ever do a standard like nine to five I think I love kind of the the ebb and flow of of this schedule. I think a lot of people, um, one, maybe don't necessarily know or appreciate that artists do often have side gigs or full-time gigs. I would say the vast majority, yeah. Yeah, to to fund the creativity and to fund the projects um, that we're so passionate about. Yeah. And it's great that it sounds like you have such a, in some regards, a very flexible job to to do the creativity and and the, the projects that you have going. Yeah, no, I love it. I, I think you're right. And it's something that we were kind of talking about this earlier, um, but not a lot of people tend to talk about because there's a, unfortunately, I think a, you lose some of the legitimacy or you feel like you're losing some of the legitimacy around your artistry when you're like, yes, I'm a musician, but also I, I do this job to sustain myself, which I think is unfortunately just the way that it's, that like society talks about it. But I, I think that in reality, it's just a necessity. And and because of the way that art and music is distributed now and like sold now, it's just, unless you are a massive touring band, it's really, really hard to be profitable. So like my 401k is is our albums. Like that's where all my money goes, but I don't, I have no regrets about it because it's, it's what I want to be doing and it's what I would be doing if, you know, yeah. If it was if it was sustainable. No, I think it's important that we talk about it as artists because I certainly have a stigma about my day job as well. And and it takes away, as you were saying, from, from the legitimacy or the, the romanticism of it. Right. I think part of that has, has maybe been driven by the whole X Factor or Pop Idol or American Idol or whatever. When they're selling a rags to riches story and people love that mm-hmm. and they lap it up. I don't know whether it becomes harder to like somebody if they don't have that kind of story behind them. But I do think it's 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 a shame. And that industry, th- those kind of shows has driven down the value of music, the way that mm-hmm. we're able to make a living. Yeah, I, I think that's a that's a really good point. Uh, I, I've gotten two different two different like sets of advice there. Uh, once was told, like, definitely don't have a plan B just because then it'll never happen, which 
I appreciate that advice. But also at the same time, I think that when you don't have a plan B, it's kind of like you have one shot and then it's over. Um, Whereas I think the route that maybe you and I are taking is more of a sustained Mm -hmm. effort in trying to be more than one thing, be more than just an artist um, and have hopefully a longer shot. It's not, or more than one shot. I think I read um, Big Magic by... um, Yes, Elizabeth Gilbert. Oh, Elizabeth Gilbert. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, and that uh, her her take on it, I, I really appreciate, which is just like you don't want your art to be what becomes necessary for survival, because then you'll start to look at it in a different way. Like mm-hmm. it's less of a reprieve and more of a a necessity, like a oh, gosh, I have to write a song tonight. Like I never want to feel that way about my music. I always want right. it to be something that I look forward to. Yeah, that book was incredible. And I think it, it allowed me to go easier on myself in yes, yeah. how hard I was on creating. And it's not to say that, you know, you just create whenever you want to. I think there definitely needs to be some structure around that. But I think she definitely kind of said, you know, you should not be so hard on yourself because then that spirals and it, it gets worse and worse. Right. One thing I was going to say, actually, in terms of the plan A and just having a plan A, it's an interesting point. I don't know if you've heard of something called successor bias. Uh, no. Um, Enlighten me. Yeah, well, successor bias. It's essentially where we only hear about the people that have only had plan A's when they have been successful. We're not hearing yes. about the people that have had plan A's, only plan A's, and not been successful. That's a really great point. Yeah, so that that would always be my counterpoint to that argument. Their advice is just like, go for it. It's like, well, yeah, because it worked out pretty well for you. Right. So talking about what's what's going on for Scout now, so you guys have been um, you know, writing over the, the winter period. It's a good time to write. No one really wants to go out. Yes. So you are planning a new batch of songs and you're heading down to Nashville. Is that right? Yes. We, um, we've been taking the last few months off. We have about nine songs right now that are like shaping up and we are going, we found this producer in Nashville that we are mildly obsessed with. Um, and we're going to go record with him. Um, we're not exactly sure what the form will be. We're not sure if we're going to release an EP or if we're going to release a series of singles. Um, but we're going to go, it's taken us so long to to find our sound. Um, I know that with each release, we've kind of found bits and pieces of what we love and what we, and then found things that we don't like. And just, we just completed one single, which hasn't been released yet, but um, we're, we are so stoked on how it sounds and, and we feel like it finally encapsulates us. Um, so the hope is with these, and I know that's always, you know, we're always going to be moving goalposts there and, and that'll always be shifting. Hopefully I'd always want to keep changing, but um, we're excited to, to record some stuff that I think we have, we feel like we have a lot more ownership over and, you know, is, is written for us and not for anybody else, which I think in the past we've fallen, we've fallen prey to that. We've been like, we should write something that sounds like it could go in a commercial or we should, we need a sad song because it's, we haven't written one in a while or whatever it might be. And now we're just like, no, we're going to write and release songs that we want to release because we like them. And that's hopefully, I mean, that's a mentality that it sounds so simple, but it's, it's taken us a while to get there. Yeah. Completely hear you. And I think there's a, you know, something to be said for, going oh well you know the most successful songs in terms of spotify plays are the upbeat ones they're the ones that are kind of like have this tempo there's kind of like a magic tempo that, that apparently is, is, yes. is a thing um yeah so you know it's easy to fall prey to oh you know we need to have like a boost so let's release something that's kind of like that so i, I hear you there but i think you're absolutely spot on to to release what you want to do you know it's your art yeah exactly so recording in nashville in april mm-hmm. and we'll see what that what that becomes yeah. whether it's an album or a set of singles it'll be at least an ep worth of songs so the, it'll be five five or six songs um but we just don't know what form gotcha 
Okay, well, I'm very excited to hear that. And in that vein, you have a gig March 20th that is called It's Definitely Not a Focus Group. <laughs> yes. Connor and I have been brainstorming, like, well, we, we really want to, um, I, I love that I just said, we're writing it for us, and we are, but we, we also want to turn our attention more to, like, our supporters who have been with us for literally years now. Um, we want to really get a sense of, like, what our listeners, our real listeners like and what they don't. Um, so we're playing, we're going to play all nine songs for them and see like what's resonating with people. I was talking to a manager friend, you know, a week or two ago, and he was like, it's like, just focus on the audience that you have and what they want. And then if, if you can cater to your people, that it'll naturally spread because because you're being genuine in in what you're writing, what you're giving to your, your fans. So we kind of wanted to do this as like as giving back to um, our little scout community. So we're doing a show that's definitely not a focus group, but definitely a focus group. <laughs> um, and we'll just have people weigh in and, and tell us what's, what they like, um, what parts can change, uh, what songs they hate, who knows? Um, like, I've never been to a show like that. Curious to see how it goes, but I think it'll be a really cool experience. Um, and that's March 20th at 8 p.m. at Rockwood Music Hall. So where can people find you? I think the best spot uh, would be Spotify. Um, Follow us on Spotify, S-K-O-U-T. We're also on Instagram. We do dumb stuff on there sometimes. I love your Instagram. It's so <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, our voices, uh, we have a definitely uh, a very unique voice, a lot of like self-deprecating humor, but it's fun to play with that medium. Um, so yeah, I'd say Instagram or Spotify. Um, well, Laura, I look, I'm very much looking forward to what Scout has coming out um, and seeing you guys. I'm, I'm going to try and come to your, you're definitely not a focus group, focus group. <laughs> on March the 20th. We're, you know, very proud to have you as part of our NYAC alum. Yeah, thank you so much. And I, I I so admire what you guys have created. I think it's a really, really cool community in and of itself. And uh, so thank you for doing what you do. Oh, you're very welcome. Yeah. <laughs> Laura Volk, thank you very much. Thanks. Laura Volk of Scout. And don't forget, you can catch Scout at Rockwood Music Hall in New York on March 20th for their show that is definitely not a focus group. Um, all of the details for that show can be found on their Instagram at Scout Music. And of course, look out for their new music uh, coming out later this year. Um, I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. You can follow the New York Artists Collective on Instagram at New York Artists Collective. And our website is newyorkartistcollective.com to keep up to date with all of our upcoming shows where we feature other awesome artists. Um, if you're enjoying this series of podcasts, please give us a rate. You know, we'd love to hear what you think. And we would love it if you rated us on the Apple Podcasts app. I'm Stephanie Manns. Thank you so much for listening. Catch you next time. New York Artists Collective.